Welcome in everybody to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. John Harris alongside Mark Vandermeer. And we have got some fun tonight because we've got both GM and head coach right out of the shoot. We got a chance to catch up with Nick Casario. Mark had a chance to catch up with Lovey Smith. We've got a little Thomas Booker a little bit later in the show, as well as Philip Dorsett. That's going to be fun. And I got a little something for Mark later in the show. But we kick it off with the general manager, Nick Casario. Right now on Texans Radio, we have Texans general manager, Nick Casario. Nick, how are you doing? Good, fellas. Good to see you. Good to see you. Okay, we go through another wave of cuts, and you're getting down to a number. I know you have one more preseason game. Uh, how has this week been for you? Because you go a little at a time, five at a time, really. Yeah, no, it's been a productive week. Quick turnaround from the game Friday night um, with playing Thursday night. So kind of lost a day of practice there that we normally would get. But otherwise, I think we kind of went through our normal process. Players were off for a day or two there, came back, practiced, and had kind of a Friday simulated practice there yesterday. And then tomorrow, you know, we'll kind of get ready to go. Or tonight, we'll do some meetings to get ready to go for tomorrow. So had to make some minor adjustments and modifications there around the edges. So kind of get to 80. And then, you know, once the game is over, then I think we'll obviously have to do a little bit more heavy lifting. But we've talked about this, I'd say, on this show, and Lovey's mentioned it as well. The idea is we're really trying to have 70, 69, 70 players in the building, mm -hmm. however we do it. So it's not really about 53. It's not about the final 53. I would expect that situation to be pretty fluid from Tuesday to Thursday, Friday. Nick, having Deo in the building, because he's the International Pathway Program player, what does that allow for him, and what does that allow for you? Does that allow you to have, like you said, 70 instead of 69 with a 53 and a 16-man practice squad? Is that what it allows you to do to have him here? Yeah, no, it's a good question. And you can look at it a couple different ways because the way the rules are designed. Let's say you wanted to carry that player on your actual practice squad because that wouldn't give him the opportunity to potentially play during the year. So mm. if you think you have a player and you would consider that, then he would kind of count within the 69. So if oh. he's the international player, then he's kind of the international player for the year, and then you don't really have as much flexibility. Gotcha. So I think you have to make a decision on that and just try to make the right decision. I would say specific to him, he's actually come in and really worked hard, and he's improved, and he's embraced some of the things that we're doing. So we'll talk about him. We'll talk about a num number of other players here over the weekend once we kind of get through the San Fran game. All right, so Nick, the listeners want to know, me among them, uh, how exposed are the players between making that cut and then bringing them back onto the practice squad? What kind of protection can you have? Yeah, it's another good question. It's not as long as it normally is. So normally it's a 24-hour window in terms of when the player goes on waivers until he actually is claimed or he reverts or becomes a free agent. So the way the rules are designed, so we'll do the roster cut Tuesday uh, by 3 o'clock, so you have to get to 53 Tuesday, and then – you can formulate the practice squad starting noon East Coast time. So as of 11 o'clock Central time, we'll know if we've had players that have been claimed, if we've had players that have terminated. And then once we get through that period, then we can put together the practice squad with a myriad of whether it's young players, veteran players, your certain categories, you can have X number of players in those categories. So you can have six veterans, you know, considered practice squad veterans. You can have four exceptions. Those guys are kind of in a different category. And then you kind of have the standard practice squad players. So it's a lot to juggle. You just have to know essentially every player is practice squad eligible, how they're categorized and the designation mm -hmm. is specific to that player. Nick, there are so many different ways that you're able to obtain players. I think most people know about free agency. They know about the draft. But what I think that kind of slides under the radar is the waiver claim process. You're sitting at number three, I believe, in the waiver claim process. 
is is that a good spot in the fact that there are only two other teams that could look at every single player that's put out there on waivers that you have a claim to? How important does that process become in player acquisition as well? Yeah, it's a fair question. Like everything, you want to just be judicious with the decisions that you make. So just because you're third doesn't mean, you know, okay, you're going to go ahead and claim four players. Right. Like you have the ability to right. maybe identify certain players and then say there's a good chance if you put in a claim for that player, then you're more than likely going to be awarded him. So if you do that then you'll have to make a corresponding roster move on the existing 53-man roster. Now, you, that's a quicker turnaround. So let's say we claim a player uh, on Wednesday. We have an hour to submit a name that's the corresponding offset. Wow. So it's a player that was on the team who's going to go off the team, but maybe he goes into a different category. So mm. you, really, you get through the, the evening, you go through the waiver wire, there's going to be a number of names that are on there. So you can't really focus on everybody. There might be certain players in certain categories, and you kind of look at your team and say, okay, if we have an opportunity to add in this area, let's have a discussion. And the answer might be, you know what, we're okay with where we are. Maybe there's another avenue to get that player on the team. So kind of like I mentioned earlier, it's a very fluid process. So what happens between Tuesday and Wednesday, that's not the definitive final answer. More than likely, you know, league-wide, us included, there's probably going to be a lot of things that take place Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then really the weekend will probably be pretty quiet because the players are off for a mandatory three-day period. How do you feel about the preseason opponents? Because I know you like to evaluate who's on the other sideline, and here you are playing the defending Super Bowl champs last week. You have the San Francisco 49ers, good team coming up tomorrow. The Saints, they won a bunch of games last year. Does that help in terms of the, the evaluation of who you might be able to pick up? Sure, any evaluation helps. And what the, the benefit of that is you get to see them against your players. So hopefully you know your team and you know your players well, and then you can see on the other side of the ball how that player – acquits himself against our our players and the level of competition. So I would say over the last couple of weeks, there's certainly some players on the opposing teams that we've taken note of. Does that mean we're, we're going to be in a position to claim them or get them on the team? No, not necessarily, but maybe you have a little bit more awareness and you pay a little bit closer attention because when you're going through your film, you're watching your team, but you're also making note of some players on the other side of the ball as well. Maybe not as important, Nick, for veterans to get preseason time but in a rookie situation like Kenyon, who's not been able to play the first couple of games, how important is it for him to just get reps in an NFL game, in an NFL situation on Thursday night? Yeah, the timing and execution is the most important thing in real live game situation. We can do as much as possible and try to simulate the best of our ability in practice, but there's so many things that happen in the game that you just can't simulate. So anytime you have the opportunity to play when you've missed a period of time, whether it's a younger player, even a veteran player, even if you have some level of experience, if you've missed a window of time, it's definitely beneficial, advantageous, where you have the opportunity to play real live reps against an, an, an opposition. What do you think of this three-game format in the preseason? Because it looks like teams are handling it differently. Lovey said something to the effect of, we're going to play it similar to the way you used to play the uh, third preseason game. Other teams are treating it like the old fourth preseason game. What do you think of all that? And I imagine teams are still trying to figure that out. I think that's a great point, Mark. Every team is different. So whatever your philosophy is, whatever conviction you have, whatever your kind of course of action going into the preseason, you try to stay true to that and stick to it. So you have to do whatever you feel works for your team and your team, your personnel and your players. We've seen across the league, there's been a number of teams that have had joint practices. We've been on our own. And we've been able to get a lot of work done. And then we've had the opportunity against New Orleans and against the Rams. That's kind of our way to work against another opponent. So this will be another good opportunity for us tomorrow night. I mean, a really good team, I would say, as tough a physical team that there is in the NFL, regardless of who's on the field. So I think it'll be a good test and a good challenge for us. Nick, obviously I don't want you to give away secrets at all, but in a joint practice situation, we know the coaches, there are times they 
hey, we might do this. Hey, we might do this. And there's some conversation you have. If you haven't had joint practices like the 49ers, we haven't had it with them. Is there an opportunity to talk before the game and say, hey, we're going to play these particular guys, we're going to play these particular guys, and kind of plan out how the game might possibly go? Does that happen in a preseason yeah, situation? Not necessarily. I think what happens in the preseason is everybody stays sort of vanilla to the mo- yeah. for the most part. You're just trying to call plays, get the execution of it, get the timing. Maybe you want to see a certain player do something, a particular assignment. Maybe you rotate players through. So – Really, you're evaluating the teams. Like, we've watched San Francisco's preseason games. Those are our two games. We had the opportunity to play them. So we're kind of going off of that. Yeah. And then we kind of have to react to what we see and what actually happens on the field. When you're practicing against one another, there might be some things you can actually sort of cater and set right, up. Right. It's a little bit e- more easily done, I would say, in that environment. Once you get into the game, it's a little bit of a less control environment, and it becomes more real life. Nick, for the draft, some of us in the media have this cliche that a coach or a scout might stand on a table. That's the cliche. Stand on a table for a player. <laughs> Do people stand on a table for a player right now when you're making these cuts to try to get down to the 53? Yeah, there's been a, a lot of investment of time and energy from yeah. the players to the coaches to the staff. So if you have a belief and a conviction, like our responsibility is to listen listen and take the mm-hmm. information in. Like We have a responsibility to each other to listen. In the end, we can only have X number of players on a roster. We can have X number of players on a practice squad. We've been pretty, I would say, consistent about we're going to try to keep as many people in the building as we can, however we do it. Some of this is just roster machinizations about how you get to that end point. But you know, when you spend this much time together on a day-to-day basis, you're going to develop a relationship. You're going to see things. And we want them to have a voice and we want them to share their belief and opinion because it's important. Nick, you talk about fluidity and fluidity of the roster and we get asked this all the time, well, how many receivers they keep and how many running backs you keep in the numbers at particular positions? Do you have in your mind like certain set numbers that you, well, look, we've got to have this many number of receivers, we've got to have this many number of defensive linemen, or does that not matter? The roster just has to take shape for what it is. It's a great question. It's really, it's twofold. So you kind of look at it as, all right, what's the 53-man roster? What does that look like? What's the practice squad going to look like? And then you're really thinking about game day. So you start mm-hmm. to think about, okay, However we do it, we're going to take X number of this position to the game. We're going to take X number of players there. So does that mean we have to carry maybe an extra player or two at that position to make sure that we protect ourselves, knowing that we're going to have to make seven or eight players or however many it is inactive? It depends. It could be less if you don't use the exceptions. but. You're going to have to make a certain number of players inactive every week. So you try not to let that, you know, your opinion get too jaded yeah. by too much, too much information. But we understand we got to play the game. We kind of have an idea, okay, going to the game, we're going to have X number on offense, we're going to have X number on defense, and three specialists. So there's kind of – it's twofold, but you're trying to balance everything off yeah. all at once. So whether we agree or not, why does the league do that, make – teams sit players on game day why can't you just dress everybody and go to the game and play who you have uh, that's for people a lot smarter and that more important than i am so uh, i think the one thing the league is, has done they've constantly looked at some of the different i would say uh ways to put together the game day roster put together the practice squad roster put together your roster so if there's something that merits discussion and consideration I think we'll have that discussion. That's probably more of a, a spring-type discussion. Mm-hmm. So whatever the rules are, we'll comply with the rules and yeah. we'll adjust and plan accordingly. Nick, there are so many different uh, kind of pivot points for you as a general manager throughout a throughout a calendar year and throughout a football year. Is the time frame after the Thursday night game up till the 53-man roster making waiver claims and all that, is that the busiest time? Because you've got to – I know you're well-prepared for all of it coming down, but knowing who's going to get out to the waiver wire 
and then, oh my gosh, we didn't think that guy was going to get there. We got to study him or look at him. Is that the trickiest and most difficult time for you as a GM? Yeah, you just have a lot more information and there's a lot no more names. But if you're very purposeful and intentional about what you're trying to accomplish and do, I think sometimes you can, if you allow it to overwhelm you, right. it very easily could. Right. Because even starting, you know, Monday, Tuesday, there's names on a waiver wire today. There's a lot of players that are on the street that are available. So doesn't necessarily mean there's one perfect answer, one particular player. So taking the information, I think the big thing is just to continue the dialogue and the discussions, and we've done that departmentally. We met as a pro staff today, kind of went through some things. We've had some discussions with different teams throughout the course of the league. A lot of it is just trying to get a semblance of where teams are. Maybe they're looking for something. Maybe there's an offset or you know a trade. Yeah. doesn't necessarily mean anything's going to come to fruition, but I think the, the biggest thing you're trying to do is just gather the information and then sift through it and really streamline it so then you can make a good decision so you don't get overwhelmed. You know, people ask me, how long does it take to tell if a rookie is getting it or is going to be a good player, if they're going to pan out? It's got to vary from player to player, right? Some guys take a little longer. And what can you tell at this time of year based on what you've seen so far? Maybe not even necessarily with the Texans rookies, but around the league. No, very much so. And I'd say you've seen a lot of young players play throughout the league on other teams. So mm -hmm. the benefit that they've had is they've had the opportunity to get on the field against NFL competition. And that's important. And every player is going to go through development at a different stage. Some are going to be more ready to play than others. Some may be ready to play a little bit later. So you try not to put a timetable on it. And it's, hopefully it's very organic in terms of their development. And you just try to make a good decision about when you think a player might be able to help you and contribute. And if he's not ready, it doesn't mean that you're dissuaded by anything that he's done. It's just we have maybe have other players at that position who are more ready. But at some point, that may change. And I think the most important thing for that player is to continue on the path of improvement, of consistency, and just continually getting better on a day-to-day -day basis. Nick at San Francisco on Thursday night. Don't know how many high-level guys of Warner, Bosa, or even Trey Lance that play, but it's a pretty talented roster top to bottom. This feels like a pretty good test against an athletic group. Really good football team, again, regardless of who plays. So mm -hmm. they have some, I would say, the premier elite players in the, at their respective positions in the league, in Bosa, in Debo, um, in Fred Warner. I mean, those guys are as good a player as any in the league. Trey's done a good job with his opportunities um, last year and then in the preseason as well. And But they have a lot of quality players. I mean, Iuke is a guy that probably yeah. nobody's really talking about, but he's as good a catch-and-run receiver or player in the league. So, And then Kittle, arguably, is the best tight end in the league. So whether or not they play or don't play, but they've done a great job. Kyle, John, I mean, they've done a great job of putting together a really good team and a really good program. I think the one thing that you know when you walk on the field against San Francisco, you better be ready for a physical game, and you better be ready for the tempo and the pace and a certain level of toughness. They're going to challenge you, and I think our players hopefully are up to that challenge regardless of who's on the field. Is it strange, back to the three preseason game format, this aspect of it, though, to not have that fourth game and how the team handles itself for the two weeks because you don't have a fourth game, but not everyone, not everyone was playing in that game in the old days, so to speak. So Lovey says, hey, they want to be as fresh as possible for opening day, but you want to maintain the intensity as well. Yeah, that's right. And we have, I mean, almost call it two weeks to get ready for Indy. So we'll have plenty of time to kind of recover whatever that entails. So hopefully we can go out there, get a good evaluation. I mean, you go back and look at the reps from practice. I mean, there's some players that have taken 400-some-odd reps in practice. So they've been on the field. They've been out there. So that consistency day-to-day -day and that availability is important. And then the game will be the game. And then once we get through the game, then we'll be able to pivot here a little bit and kind of get ready for the season opener. Weeks two and three are teams that are not in the regular season 
I mean, don't see Denver a whole lot. We did see Russell last year. We don't face him much. And then face Chicago, we don't face them much. But week one is a divisional opponent. I don't know, better or worse, but you face a divisional opponent right off the bat. Does that make prep a little bit easier? Does it make it more difficult? Because it is. And they are starting a new quarterback. How does it kind of make it for week one to see a divisional opponent, somebody you do know pretty well? Yeah, no, it's a, a great question. I think the big thing is you just sort of reorientate, reorient yourself with the mm-hmm. team and their personnel. They right. have new players. Like, we know them. They know us. Schematically, offensively, there's not going to be too much changes on the Colts side. Yeah. Defensively, with Coach Bradley coming in, they may do some things. So, really, it's just familiarizing yourself with the new players and with their personnel and how they're going to use them. And then if transition into weeks two and three, those are teams we don't really know that well because, to your point, John, we don't play them right. very often. So we've tried to do a bunch of legwork ahead of time and kind of get prepared. And a lot of this is just understanding the personnel and the team and who's actually going to be on the field. Are you going to the season premiere on Saturday night? <laughs> I don't think I have a choice. I'll be there. <laughs> like, what are you going to wear? Because I, I don't even know what I'm wearing yet for this. Uh, thing. It sounds like a business. I won't be wearing a vest, so okay. we'll start there. Well, that's so darn it. That's a shame. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I glad think it's a little more dressy than a vest attire. Okay. There is a casino, correct? Yes. Okay, so what is the Nick Casario game of choice at the casino? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you asked this question. Are you I've counting cards? <laughs> once in my life. My wife what? and I, when we were dating, went to Las Vegas. We went to the Bellagio. I played one slot machine, and I lost, and I said, all right, I'm all set. So that's the extent of the gambling in my life. Oh, see, I think you would be wicked Ver- good. You can ver- my wife can verify that. No, I, I think you would be wicked good at blackjack. Yes. <laughs> I think. I mean, seriously, wicked good, trends. understanding probabilities and trends. Uh, you would be wicked I'll stick good. to football. But, but the problem is the Bellagio. you got to go across the street to, like, the dollar blackjack tables. <laughs> that's yeah. how you learn. <laughs> that's what you want. Nick, thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks, guys. It's always fun getting Nick in here, and he's got the vest on. You got to feel good about that. Earlier today, Mark had a chance to catch up with head coach Lovey Smith and talk about the 49ers and the third preseason game coming up on Thursday night. Coach, tell me, how different is it not having that fourth preseason game? You coached a lot of years in this league where you had that. Yeah, really, Mark, but we use, really use three games. So in the third game, even back then, was a game where you played your guys the majority. You know, when they got the most rep was this game. So we're kind of looking at it the same way a little bit. We're, uh, our guys that we see as our frontline guys will, for the most part, play into the third quarter. So we're doing it the same way. We have a big break in between to heal up. Love the schedule. Offense against the 49er defensive system, what are you looking for? Uh, well, they're, they're – Similar, four-man front, good defensive line. What we're looking for is just more production as much as that. You know, we're running team. Really, uh, both teams' uh, formula for winning is similar. You know, they're a running team on offense, two back. They have a fullback on the roster. We're very similar. We want to see exactly we get our running game going, passing game, just see how we match up. How about special teams, Coach, in this matchup? It, it, it comes down to that normally. Um we feel like we have good special teams. Of course, they do. Uh, we've gotten some production from our special teams this week. But uh, an area that we would like to even see more is a return game, you know. So we'll continue to do that. Back to playing time for a moment. How difficult is it to decide when to pull people? Is it predetermined or do you do it by feel because you want to see more if you go three and out or something like that? We have a predetermined uh, amount of reps we, as we go into every game. From there, it can change. Everything has to be flexible. If we don't like what we see, we may keep the guys in a little bit longer. So, But for the most part this week, we're going to pretty much stay true to our plan. 
a part of getting ready for the regular season is for the guys to play the first half and then have to go in at halftime and then come back out for at least one drive. So we'll pretty much stay true to that this week. And what about the 17-day break between this game and opening day? you got a lot to handle in the meantime. Yes, we do. But what, as I see it, everybody has a, we're on the same schedule. We've been grinding, grinding, grinding. I feel like the best football, in order to get the best football, is to have a little bit more time for the guys to heal up all across the league. So I kind of like that. We have a plan. You know, and NFL has safeguards in mind. We can only practice in pads once every week. So it's not like teams are going to go to two or eight practices and start killing our guys. We have a plan for it, and guys, you should see the freshest team that we've had all year is what we should see against the Colts. Coach, thanks a lot. Good luck. Anytime at all. There it is, the only show in town getting both the GM and head coach exclusively right here on Texans All Access. When we get back, little Thomas Booker and Philip Dorsett, Drew's Dozens coming at you right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. John Harris and Mark Vandermeer with you, but it's time to turn it over to Drew Doherty with some Drew's Dozens. How do you like that alliteration? We got two of them for you, and we're going to start with the rookie from out of Stanford, going into his third NFL game, third preseason game. That's Thomas Booker the fourth from out of Maryland, went to Stanford, and now he's in Houston, and he's doing a bang-up job. Here's a little Drew's Dozen with Thomas Booker. Booker is your last name. Did you know there used to be a TV show called Booker? No, I did not. I was not aware of that. When, when did it come out? It was in the early 90s, so well before you, it was a spinoff of the 21 Jump Street franchise, and it was starring a guy named Richard Grieco. Oh, really? Yeah, that was, uh, that was before I was probably even a thought. So, yeah, I don't think I was hip to that one. This interview is off to an awful start. So let's go with 1999, the year you were born. Yep. Phenomenal year. Pop culturally, I'm going to say one thing or person, you got to answer with something else from 1999 that resonated. I'll start. Britney okay. Spears. 1999 by Prince. Boom. That's a good one. I'll take it. Yep. How about the Backstreet Boys? NSYNC. Star Wars coming back, that movie. Star Trek, I guess. Like the older, <laughs> the older Star Trek. Yeah. All right. We made it three. That's cool. 1999, yeah. though. Phenomenal year. You were born that year. Crab cakes and lacrosse mm. or crab cakes and football? I know crab cakes and football is the saying from that movie, but it's really crab cakes and lacrosse if you're from Maryland, right? So I say crab cakes and lacrosse just because lacrosse is so much more of a thing in Maryland than it is anywhere else. I feel like there's a couple of places that claim football as being like, you know, a religion. Texas is one of them. So I'd probably say lacrosse. You know, you see a lot of the talent across the country in college. They're all from Maryland. Probably crab cakes and lacrosse just because those are two very Maryland things. Are you a crab cake guy? I am a crab cake guy. I'm a big crab cake and Old Bay guy. Crab cake and Old Bay. And a lot of people I hear, like, don't put too much breading in it, so on and so forth. What's the deal? So I think that when you put too much breading on it is because you don't have actually, like, good crab. So you're just trying to fry it, you know, so people really can't taste the quality. So I'd say that there's definitely a... Uh, a quotient to hit with the amount of breading versus the amount of crab meat. So I'm not too much of a, a huge bread guy. Did you play any other sports growing up? Yeah, I played a ton of different sports. Played tennis. Tennis was actually my first sport. My dad played it too. My dad played um, linebacker at the University of Wisconsin, but he started playing tennis. So I was in that sport first. Then it was baseball, basketball. Uh, I ran track for a little bit, did shot and disc. So I tried to, you know, stay away from specialization as much as I could when I was a kid. I appreciate my parents for letting me uh, go to everything and drive me to everything. So is tennis the favorite of those other non-football sports? It's probably either tennis or basketball. 
I used to watch a lot of tennis. Like, Roger Federer was, like, my favorite player. Roger Federer and Serena, those are the two. So I used to watch the Grand Slams between Federer and Nadal all the time. My sister also played tennis, so I usually, she's 10 years older than me, so I spent a lot of my childhood driving around with my parents to go see her play and all that. So probably tennis or basketball. You know, bringing up Federer, Serena, Michael Phelps is not tennis, but I'm thinking champions of champions, yeah. like winners yeah. at the highest level. Who would you say athletically is the tippy top in that regard? I'd say overall, unfortunately, because I'm a big, big LeBron fan, it's probably Michael Jordan in terms of like the champion of champions. You can't really do that much better than a perfect resume in the finals. I think then it goes Tom Brady, you know, just the amount of times he's been to the big game and the amount of times that he's won it. It's hard to, to equal that, especially in a sport like football, whereas there's no series, one game, any given Sunday. And then I'd probably have to, to go with the tennis guys. I think Djokovic is coming up on it now, but I think Serena, Federer, Pete Sampras, all those guys, yeah. What are you reading these days? So what I'm reading right now is Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. I'm about to finish that one up right now. Super interesting. Basically, just kind of tells you about some of the misgivings we have as a society about success and where it comes from. So that's super interesting. And I finished a couple of other books. Surveillance Capitalism was another one that I was that I was reading about. Just kind of talking about social media and all the data mining and all that sort of stuff. So I've been trying to kind of skip through different genres and topics, trying to get some different different reads. That sounds like a, a very interesting book. Also sounds semi-frightening. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, once you realize how much, uh, you know, data people have on you, it's definitely a different different era that we're living in. But times change, so you got to you gotta have the knowledge to be equipped to deal with it. When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing that happens? Ooh, first thing that happens, I get a bottle of water. I get a bottle of water, and then I just, you know, sit there for a little bit, center myself. You know, sometimes you have that fog of sleep that you have to get through for you know the first 10 to 15 minutes or the first hour you being awake so i try to get that off just by being a little bit more mindful centering myself a little bit the lights go out your head hits the pillow how long till you actually fall asleep Woo. so i have a whoop a little fitness band that does sleep tracking so it actually tells me my my latency which is how long it takes me to go to sleep usually it's between like probably five and ten minutes which is great for me that means like i go to bed at 9 45 i'm down by around 9 55 10 but you know sometimes you have thoughts swirling in your head play you might have messed up something you might have wanted to do better so it takes you a little bit longer but hopefully five to ten an artist that gets you excited mm, so my favorite artist is uh is drake i feel like drake has music for every single different situation that you're in in life whether you're trying to chill out you know his last album honestly never mind is a perfect album to just let run all the way through if you want something to get you hyped up, he's got tracks for that. So it's the fact that he makes music for literally every single different situation that you're going to be in. You can make an entire playlist and not have to deviate at all. So I'd say that's the guy that gets me hyped up, but also gives me all the different vibes that I need. Tell me about a Texans teammate who gets you amped up and Ooh, hyped up. Got to be, uh, got to be Damian Pierce for sure. He's one of these guys where joking guy, lighthearted, all that, but when you see him on the field, it just turns into an absolute dog. You see the way he cuts with violence, the way he finishes his runs, and just how hyped everybody is around him for him, just because they know how genuine of a guy he is and how hard he works. Did you know about him before the draft? I mean, had you seen his Florida tape? Yeah, so the, the one clip that I'm sure everyone had seen was the one where his helmet came off and he kept running, and I don't know why they didn't give him the touchdown on that, but I think that just encapsulates exactly who he is as a runner and as a person. He's not going to take no for an answer, you know, on the field. So definitely saw him from that. I knew he's going to be a special guy coming in. With no consequences, nobody's going to judge you, get mad at you for eating this, but you can make anything you want, eat anything you want. What's the meal, the perfect meal that you're going to have? Perfect meal. I like salmon a lot. My dad cooked a lot of salmon when I was growing up. 
So probably salmon with a, a nice glaze on it. I'd probably add on to that like mac and cheese is like the carb. And then I finish with probably broccoli or like spinach. So I actually kind of got tricked into liking spinach by um, spinach my dad. Is good. Spinach is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. Spinach uh, gets a bad rap. But it was Popeye the Sailor Man that got me kind of hooked on it. Because I'm like, all right, like this dude's turning into a Mr. Buff. The forearms. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I'm like, all right, I want to be that when I grow up. So I think my dad kind of programmed that into me a little bit when I was young and I'm thankful for it because I like spinach. No dessert? Not a sweets guy? No. Well, I try not to be a sweets guy just because like when I get it in the house, I kind of just completely just demolish it and I'm like, all right, at least I don't have to have it later. I'd probably pick chocolate chip cookies, but like not like a hard cookie, more of like a, you know, soft gooey cookie. I'm not a fan of like the really crunchy ones. Only weirdos are. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't really like that. People that have that in their house, it's kind of a, a red flag. On that note, we're going to wrap this up. Thomas Booker, great to talk with you. Really appreciate the time. This has been a Drew's Dozen. Thank you. Appreciate it. And there you have it. A little Thomas Booker the fourth with a little Drew's Dozen. Appreciate it, Drew for stopping by to give us that interview. All right, we get back. We're going to hit up. I'm going to hit up Mark Vandermeer with the destructive Mount Rushmore of quarterbacks. I'm going to explain that next. I'm going to put him on the spot right here at Texans All Access. We got one final segment this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I am John Harris alongside Mark Vandermeer. And Mark, we've had a lot of interviews. Now it's time for us to stretch our legs with a fun thing. that I, I actually came up with this the other night. We're radio hosts, right? We've been radio hosts for a long time. Yes. When things get slow, mm -hmm. sometimes in June, sometimes in July, maybe sometimes in February, who knows? Radio hosts always go back to a few things, right? Yes. They like lists. I love lists. My ultimate level. Over the years, I, I it's lists. changed, too. Yeah. Because yeah. it used to be Pete Rose Hall of Fame. Yep. Right? Right. Uh, then it became, in Houston, there have been a lot. Move Steve to the two was a big one <laughs> yeah. for a v while. Long-time listeners of this station will remember that one well. Yes, absolutely. You know, but I'm not going to go through them all. Anyway, go on. But one of them that, and I, I love this, especially if you put different categories on it, is Mount Rushmore. Like, what's the Mount yes. Rushmore of Houston yes. athletes? That one, I always love that one. I, I used to let people on my overnight show, you give me... Here's what I want you to do. You give me the Mount Rushmore mm -hmm. for whatever you want it to be. And you'll tear it apart? And I will rank them one through four, and then I will put them in a bat. So I would kind of I put them in a basketball tournament, one through four. One played four, two played three, and I would literally play it out. So Within would, that re Mount Rushmore yes. group? So like if okay. I said uh, Mount Rushmore of Houston athletes, and I don't know, you gave me Akeem, Nolan Ryan, Earl Campbell, and... Does Altuve make it? Now? Yeah, let's put up Jose Altuve. Yeah. Then I would rank them quickly, and then I would say, okay, one versus four. I think four's got the upset. Then I would say two versus three, and I would go that way. So that was one way that I handled Mount Rushmore a little bit differently. Well, I'm going to do that for you. Well, you're going to do that for me, actually. Okay. I'm going to give you the Mount Rushmore. And I'll play it out? But here's how the destructiveness goes. We're actually not going to play it out. You're going to blow up three heads of the Mount Rushmore. Okay, I'm going to take you get them to off. Keep one Mount Rushmore. That's why right. I call it the destructive Ooh, Mount Rushmore. Is, but this is going to be tough for you, I think, because yeah. there's usually a clear cut, right? Maybe. 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 Okay. We'll see. Go on. And it's all about quarterbacks. Don't make me pick among my children. It's all about the quarterbacks. The Houston Texans history of players here. Don't make me pick among my kids. Nope. Okay. Uh, not enough quarterbacks here in with the Texans. I know. I thought you were going to go another direction, though. No. Anyway, go on. So it's just quarterbacks, but I've right. got different categories. Let's go. So I call this one the Top Guns. The current top guns. Yes, current. Mm -hmm. Mahomes, 
Mm-hmm. Josh Allen, mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers, and Joe Burrow. And Joe Burrow. I did not put Tom Brady on there because we don't know if Tom Brady's going to play. So that is your current top gun, Mount Rushmore. Blow up three faces. Which one are you keeping? Uh, so, wait, Burrow, Mahomes, Allen. Allen, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. <sighs> Blow three of them up now, and keep am it I, one. Am I playing a bunch of seasons with this guy, or am I playing one game with this guy? Because one How game. How do you want to do it? It's just you get one face to keep up there. Mm. All the other turns to marble and stone and ash, and it falls all away, and you leave one face you know, up there. You know who I like for one game? I, I, this is not going to be a popular decision. I know what you're going to say. Joe Burrow. Yes. I kind of do. And in fact, the Super Bowl was replayed on the video board when we were in LA yeah, yeah, right before the game, yes. right? A couple yes. hours before the game, as they just let fans in, they re rolled the Super Bowl edited version. Mm-hmm. It's like when Tom Hanks is in the movie Big and he calls downstairs and says, Can you edit out all the commercials from that Super Bowl with the Giants beating the Broncos and bring it up to yes. us? And the, his little kid friend says, As- You're the luckiest guy I know. That's awesome. Anyway, we were the luckiest people, but we weren't Rams fans, so we don't really care. But one thing I noticed about watching that again, Johnny, was, Oh my gosh, Cincinnati could have. I don't want to say easily, yeah. but they could have won that game. Easily could have won that game. And the there Rams were, were were living on the edge all postseason yep. long. So anyone who thinks that this is a juggernaut that cannot be stopped, think again. The 49ers have something to say about that, too, that NFC Championship game. And obviously the Buccaneers do because they came back on them but couldn't pull it out at the end, couldn't stop that, that last Stafford drive. So I think Burrow has that edge about him okay i think you protect him you block aaron donald on that last throw he's making that third down completion oh he would have found or that was fourth down right on the on the uh Bengals sideline t hey oh no uh, jamar chase is wide open he had double moved jalen ramsey he was wide open he, he had whoever the back was though in the flat for an easy first yeah down. he had that he had all kinds of things he just didn't have time to get it off because yeah. aaron donald okay so in your top gun you, you're gonna go with burrow i'll go with right. Burrow. you're gonna leave that face up there okay houston professional quarterbacks Houston pro quarterbacks. Got Houston it. pro quarterbacks. You got to blow up three, and you got to leave one face on the Mount Rushmore. Oh boy, Warren Moon, Matt Schaub, Dan Pastorini, and the often forgotten Hall of Famer George Blanda. Blanda's hard to get away from here. Now, Blanda, Moon, Schaub, Pastorini, Blanda. You got to blow up three faces and leave one up on the Mount Rushmore. Which one are you leave? You know, I love Dante, but Warren Moon's staying up there for me. And Blanda, you know, career with more than one team, and so is Moon. But what Moon did here, yeah. go to the playoffs seven consecutive years. I know After they did, being garbage. Yeah, they did not. Oh. They did not win enough playoff games. They only won three playoff games during that seven playoff appearance span that seven-year playoff appearance span three playoff victories total but you're getting there every year johnny and i like that i like getting there every year and he was a huge reason why they did he was the best player on those teams well maybe you could argue bruce matthews whatever the o-line was good but i like warren moon i'll go with warren moon on that mount rushmore he's the one staying now we do have some cowboys fans that hate listen and that's okay it's Mm -hmm. it's listening but okay. They oh, might be go Cowboys quarterbacks. Cowboy quarterback, Ooh, destructive Mount Rushmore. Here are the four up there. Oh yeah, I'm going to give this an order. I'm going to give you who I'm blowing up first. Okay. On this one. Roger Staubach. Okay. Dak Prescott. Mm-hmm. Tony Romo. Uh-huh. And Troy Aikman. With a guest appearance by our own buddy Clint Sterner, but those are the four <laughs> up on the Mount Rushmore. You got to blow up three and leave one. Wait, did you give me? Wait, you give me Staubach. Staubach. Aikman. Dak. Dak. Romo. Aikman. And Romo. 
but you gave me five. Uh, Sterner, Clint, Clint's got no, no. like a like wait, wait. they've they've made Aikman, like a nice Romo Staubach, Aikman, Romo Staubach, Dak, Dak, Dak. That's four. Okay, four. All right, thank you. Uh, Dak's going off first. Okay, bye. All right, Romo second. Bye. I mean, there's Ooh. no way Romo's staying no, out there. No, no, no. Now you're picking some tough ones here. But Aikman, bye. I'm going to go Staubach. Okay. I thought you were going to do that. That's what I would do. Yeah. I'm, look, Troy Aikman was a really good quarterback. It would be interesting to see how good he would have been on another team. I don't want to fault any of the Cowboys of those great teams that won three Super Bowls for being on great teams. Yeah. You know, Emmitt Smith was on a great team with a great line. He was How's great it? back. That's They're all good, great. You know, a damn good symphony. Yeah, exactly. They all meshed really They did, really and well. Jimmy was a great coach, and then, you know, Barry kept it going for that one final Super Bowl. And, you know, look, he doesn't get any credit at all for what he did. Who, Barry Switzer? Yeah. Nothing. But no. you had to hold it together. You know, it's a little bit of a George Some would Seifert. argue that he didn't. I know. <laughs> it was fraying, like, right as they won that championship. Okay. I don't all right. know. Probably. They still won it. Look, I was I with the University it. of Miami when Larry Coker was there, right? Right, right. And he held it together. He held it together long enough to appear in the national championship game twice. Now, a lot of people would say, well, look, anybody could have done that. Listen, I was there at the beginning of that thing, and it was tough to get it rolling. And they did, and he did a better job as offensive coordinator when they got rolling. So I give him some credit. Anyway, yeah, that's my answer, Staubach. We play the San Francisco 49ers. You know, wait, hang on a second. You could have made that much more complicated by throwing Danny White in there. And make I it almost five. did. I and almost I would did. Just, I would slide White ahead of Dak Prescott. Probably not ahead of Romo, but Danny White to me is the most disrespected quarterback on a big time team ever, ever. Because, well, that's a strong statement, but one of them at at the very least. Two NFC Championship game appearances. He had to replace Staubach. You're replacing a legend. They go to the NFC Championship game twice. At the time, the standard for the Cowboys was Super Bowl. People would argue it still is, but you haven't been there in 27 years. So, White had it tough, and it wasn't all his fault they didn't go. Look, they got to him at the end of the catch game. They would have, could have, should have done better in that one, and obviously Vince Ferragamo and the Rams beat him the year before that. We're going way back now, kids. Yeah. Now, you almost broke the rule of Mount Rushmore. That is, you have to have four. Can't have five. No, we we could have made like a like to talk a, about a shrub White. that we like carve, you know, in, in the form of a Danny White, but but not on the, the not on the side. I mean, you know, there's certain places that have uh, shrub artists. I guess we're gonna call them that. Okay, we play the 49ers on Thursday night, tomorrow mm. night. Ooh, I like this already. The destructive Mount Rushmore: blow three of them up, keep one. Joe Montana, Steve Young, Jeff Garcia, John Brody. All right. Well, Montana's going to be first, right? He's. I'm keeping Montana. You're keeping Montana. Yeah, okay. Montana to me might right. be the second greatest quarterback that ever lived. Yeah, that's probably what I would do. So, and, but someone loves Steve Young. Mm-hmm. No, Steve Young was amazing. Yeah, that was an amazing little run that he had yeah. compared to Montana. Right, right, right. But it was great. Yeah, Steve Young was a terrific quarterback. It's hard to believe they were on the same team for a while. Back to back years of or back to back careers of Montana to Young. Yeah, I mean that's a that's like Favre to Aaron Rodgers, right? That's I mean, incredible we went stuff from right there. Mallet to Hoyer, so you know. Yeah, we have that. Mm-hmm. We have that. We had that uh, club in our bag. The Colts almost well, they did go from Manning to Andrew Luck, but right. it just didn't last long enough for them. And by the way, wasn't was it yesterday or today? That's the three year anniversary Ooh. of Luck's retirement. Oh, I think gosh. it's today, twenty fourth. I think it's today. Yeah. 
Oh, my. Where so were you You leave in Montana. Okay, you mentioned Steve Young, so I got another category for you. But Brody's going in front of Jeff Garcia for me. I think so, too. Brody, uh, for people that don't know, John Brody was a heck of a quarterback in the yeah. 60s and 70s. Yeah. Heck of a quarterback. I mean, he was the 49ers for mm-hmm. those years playing at Keysar Stadium in San Francisco. All right, this this category. I got one for you. Wait a minute. I'm, I'm throwing this right on you okay. right now. Go ahead. Packers. Oh, All right. Man. I mean, you were born there, right? In I was Wisconsin. born there. Yep. Okay. So I'll go the Magic Man. Oh. I could have gotten Lynn Dickey on you here, but I'll go the Magic Man. Okay. Favre. Yeah. Rogers. Yep. Bart Starr. Pick from your children. Yeah. This, this one's easy, actually. Rogers. Rogers. Okay. I mean, I love I love Bart Starr. I got a chance to meet Bart Starr. And it was, I mean, you talk about, I mean, joyful. I mean, it was, it was incredible. He didn't want to come on the air with us, with me and Sean. He was just, he was speaking at the Lombardi Award. And, and I, luckily, David Nuno just kind of stayed after it, you know, how David does. And he came over, and I, and, and Sean's like, you want to introduce him? I'm like, oh, my God, I got I to gotta nail this. Mm-hmm. And I nailed the introduction, and I said I was a kid from Marinette, Wisconsin. And I was like, you're my coach. And he, at that point, I got him. And he, he stayed for like ten to twelve minutes and was just awesome, but I, I Rogers, Rogers is, I mean, he might be the best and most physically gifted quarterback I've ever seen. He yeah, he's, he's just incredible. He is absolutely incredible. Get to another Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. he's got to. It's not my fault. Yeah. No, he wouldn't okay. say that. Here are the dual threat quarterbacks, and I bring these up okay. because I know you love dual threat quarterbacks. <laughs> I do. Here's your Mount Rushmore: Randall Cunningham, great one. Michael Vick. Great one. Steve Young. Great one. Lamar Jackson. Great one. You got four. Which one stays? All right, so let's go over this. Cunningham and Vic, neither goes to a Super Bowl. Correct. Vic got to the NFC Championship game. And Cunningham did not. Cunningham did get to the NFC Championship game with the Vikings. Yes, he was on that great team. He was. He was. Oh, that's a coulda, woulda, shoulda. That's Lamar's a, never gotten miss, to one, but he's got time. rings. Uh, Lamar has not. And who is the other? Steve Young. And he won a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who's the best? Who's staying up there? Who is the dual Young threat a great quarterback? Team. Look, it's a, a lot of this is organization and that kind of thing, man. Ugh. Lamar Jackson had the number one seed, but they lost to the Titans in the playoffs. Mm. Look, I got to go with the championship guy, Steve Young, okay. I guess. But I got to look at the rushing yards total, too, because I mean, he's got one of the greatest quarterback runs in the history of the game. He does. It was a 50 something, right? Yeah. Fought off all kinds of Viking tacklers. It was a great it was run. Ridiculous. It was a folks look up that run. It was it's a terrific so run. Steve Young going half the field on everybody. It was a ter- tremendous run. Look, Vic, to me, even though Lamar Jackson's amazing, Vic is a transformational player. Yes. And it all went wrong, obviously, and it's his doing. But there's something that is a level above to me about Michael Vick. Now, maybe he's not the high percentage because Steve Young had the top quarterback rating in the history of the game for a long time. It's since been surpassed. But it hung up there for a few years, Johnny. And now the game is different in the high completion percentages and all that. But there's something about Vic. There's just something about him. I got to put him on top of that list. Okay. I'm going to ask you this. You get one name. Okay. You got three seconds. All right. The 2021 question mark quarterback Mount Rushmore. Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance. Wait, keep one up there. Which one's one. the biggest question mark? All right. So Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, and Justin Fields. 
It's not Fields. It's not Lance. It's not. It's not anybody. It's Davis Mills, and he's he's going to get a no, shrubbery. Who's the biggest question mark? Oh, the biggest question mark that to stays me stays up there. To me, the biggest question mark is going to be Fields. Okay. Fields. Very nicely done. Mark, nice job. And to all of you, a great job. Thank you for listening, Chris. Appreciate it. We'll see you all tomorrow. Game night against the San Francisco 49ers right here on Sports Radio 610. See you, everybody. And as always, go Texans.